Let's make another run at a great couple of hours of information on the Rural Radio Network, the Midday Program. And I'm Dirk Christensen. Welcome to it as we head into the middle part of the week. It's hump day, Wednesday. We're going to let the guy who humps it best around here. <laughs> Sorry. Joe Gangwish is here. He's, you uh, should just give up on the uh, creativeness. He's always, you're, you're, no, you're, I'm kidding. You're, you're absolutely correct <laughs> No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I don't want to quash your... No, hump. You, you, you I don't want to quash your hump. creativeness. Like, but, you get after it. Come you, on, you, man. You, you do the job. You, you make it happen. Okay, Sean Spicer. <laughs> <laughs> Our version Even of... Hitler. <laughs> Our, yeah, at least you didn't compare me to Hitler, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, Joe, tell us what's what. Well, we've got the uh, Venerable Conservation Reserve Program emerging as a focal point uh, coming up in the Farm Bill debate. We'll discuss that in Ag News at 12.13. As a focal point uh, coming up in the Farm Bill debate, we'll discuss that in Ag News at 12.13. Also, people in eastern Nebraska, southeastern part of the state, experiencing some of that uh, smoke from the prescribed burns in the Flint Hills. And we'll talk a little bit about reducing emissions when you do burn on some of those prescribed burns. So that's coming up as well in Ag News. Jesse Harden with uh, Harding, rather. I was reading ahead. Sorry about that. With Craig Uden, president of NCBA. And he was here in the offices yesterday. They discussed the progress made on U.S. beef being exported to China. That was kind of a hot topic yesterday. And Craig stopped by. We'll have their visit at 1219. Chabella Guzman at 1245 with our newsmakers today. That is Dr. Jeff Bradshaw and Dr. Nevin Lawrence. They are from the Panhandle Research and Extension Center. And they uh, went to China in March. And they're working on a... uh, a working demonstration farm there in China. University of Nebraska Extension is part of that. Interesting discussion. That'll be at 1245. Bruce Gorder with Peter McCormick. He's director of the Darty Water for Food Institute. Of course, they're having the big uh, Water for Food Conference that's going on right now in Lincoln, and he'll report from there at 117. Thanks very much. Over to uh, aspiring White House Press Secretary Jason Jorgensen. <laughs> Hardly. Hardly. Hey, I'll tell you what. This Husker baseball team is starting to get people's attention. I know they've teased us before in recent years. They've won 15 of 19 now. They won their 20th game of the season last night as they took apart Kansas State 6-1. to one. So they, they have things rolling. Uh, ben Miller has been on fire again. again. Two more hits last night. So we'll see. Uh, this weekend, they're back in action as they will take on Iowa. Also, speaking of this weekend, it will be the annual Nebraska Red-White game. A lot of different storylines in the game on Saturday. A lot of folks want to see the new defense. 3-4 scheme put in by energetic and young defensive coordinator Bob Biacco. Yesterday, he was asked how he thinks things are going. We'll get his, get his thoughts about that. I've seen some uh, online scuttlebutt about Diaco mm-hmm. from the folks who've been in practice and watched mm-hmm. how the spring has gone. They say he is worth every cent. He is worth every penny that Nebraska is paying him, and it's, it's a lot of pennies. It, 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 what's that? I'd say that's good to hear. Yeah, it is. It is. So, uh, it sounds like his uh, his young men are very impressed with him, too. So um, we'll touch on that. Also, if you're a hockey guy, NHL playoffs start tonight. That'll finish up by the 4th of July. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, a the ice When the ice melts, right? <laughs> Bob, what do you got? Stocks are down a little bit. Uh, the IMF leader is warning against trade protectionism. Also, United is going to review its policies after a passenger was forcibly removed from 
a flight. So those are some of the stories we're keeping an eye on. Yeah, they've faced a lot of flack for that. It's all coming up for you today on Midday. Paul Perkins is in to take a look at what's going to be happening weather-wise for us. What's in the ag weather today? Well, big change in our weather over the last 24 hours. First of all, we woke up to temperatures this morning about 20 degrees warmer than what we saw yesterday when we saw temperatures in the upper 20s to the low 30s. This morning, we woke up to temperatures in the upper 40s to low 50s and some showers and thunderstorms and still some rain and thunderstorms scattered about South central and southeast Nebraska in and nearby parts of Kansas, that trailing edge of the rain right now from Columbus down to Aurora, down to near Red Cloud and Smith Center, the leading edge of it starting to make its way into Wahoo, Lincoln, and towards the Beatrice and Concordia area. We are seeing some clearing skies over the northwest, and that is thanks to the passage of the front. We will see some clearing today, and that will help those temperatures to warm up, and those warmer temperatures will interact with the front pushing south, and that will be the focus for additional chances of rain and thunderstorms for this afternoon. A few of them may be on the strong or severe side, not expecting a big severe outbreak. If we do see any severe activity, it will probably be over eastern Nebraska and Kansas. The rain chance is expected to linger over the south and east on into this evening. The pattern does remain active for tomorrow on into early next week with some passing disturbances interacting with the front lingering in the region. The better chance of rain and thunderstorms starts to arrive again by tomorrow afternoon and evening. We'll see another chance for Friday afternoon and evening also. And then a few rain and thunderstorm chances in the forecast, but mostly over the south and east areas for Saturday and eastern Sunday right near a front. Now that could change if that front's a little bit farther to the north. We may see a more active weather pattern into Nebraska, but right now it looks like the better chances of rain Saturday into Easter Sunday over southeast Nebraska and northern Kansas. Another chance of rain and thunderstorm activity starts to arrive during the day Monday. That front expected to lift back to the north, and that'll give us that better chance of some rain and thunderstorms, and that will probably start to arrive most likely Monday night into Tuesday. In our long-term forecast, temperatures for Nebraska and Kansas expected to be warmer than normal Monday through April 25th. Above normal precipitation for Nebraska and Kansas is forecast for Monday through April 25th. The chances of that a little bit lower early on next week with the ridge of high pressure just off to our west that may keep it a little bit drier, but overall a fairly active weather pattern through the 25th. Now, since we didn't have freezing temperatures this morning, soil temperatures at the seven, at 7 o'clock at the 4-inch depth were much warmer in the low 40s in the Panhandle in northern Nebraska. Most areas with soil temperatures in the mid to upper 40s, the warmest soil temperatures in the low 50s over the western third of Kansas. Weather factors affecting market trade today include rain that will cause extensive delays in Midwest field work and hinder the corn planting, and also the slow receding of flooding in Argentina. Much of the nation will experience warmer than normal weather in the next several days. A storm approaching the Pacific Northwest will drift east right along the U.S.-Canadian border and should reach northern New England by Easter Sunday. Rain and a few thunderstorms expected mainly across the plains and Midwest. Michigan's topsoil moisture right now rated 61% surplus, so they are very wet to try and get in the field. Moderate to heavy rain in the west and north Midwest will cause extensive delays in field work and corn planting at least the next seven days. The southern Midwest and Delta, they will have lighter precipitation and a better chance of getting some field work done. A new round of Light to moderate rain and warmer temperatures in the southern plains will continue to improve the prospects for the wheat crop. Topsoil moisture rated very short to short. It decreased from 26 to 20 percent in Kansas. 
The harvest in Argentina likely stalled for the next week in many central crop areas after heavy rain and flooding. There's a drier forecast that will allow the floodwaters to recede. Flood damage currently unknown, but many suspect about a 10% loss. In Brazil, southern crop areas will be drier through the end of the week to help with their harvest and maturing of crops. Central Brazil will see beneficial rain for the winter corn. In west and central Ukraine, rain and variable temperatures the next five to seven days expected for the wheat crop to help it. After an extended dry spill that broke this last weekend, crops there remain at least four weeks ahead of normal. Conditions favor planting of spring grains in Ukraine and South Russia. All right, weather at midday brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your Ranky dealer in Holdridge, Lexington, Alda, and Ravenna. You can call them at 308-995-4000. I'm uh, noticing that for uh, north-central Kansas, they're talking about maybe up to some half-dollar-sized hail this afternoon. Thunderstorms get going. Yeah, we could see some... Um some severe activity. It looks like the better chance of at least a marginal risk of severe activity will be to the southeast of a line from Columbus to Grand Island to around Phillipsburg, Kansas. All right. We'll keep a close eye on it for you when you need weather anytime. KRVN.com. I'm Joe Gangwish with Ag Information on the Rural Radio Network. The Conservation Reserve Program emerging as a focal point in the coming Farm Bill debate on several fronts, from policy to budget savings. Renewed focus on increasing Conservation Reserve Program acres. Senator John Thune of South Dakota introduced another CRP-related bill, calling for 30 million acres to be enrolled, an increase of 6 million on the current cap. Thune also wants more flexibility on the use of land, including the ability to graze cattle and harvest cover vegetation. Under the 2014 Farm Bill, lawmakers gradually reduced the level of acreage allowed in CRP to $24 million in fiscal 2017 and 2018. House Ag Committee Ranking Member Colin Peterson said in a February hearing that he'd like to see the program cap set at at least 35 million acres, though he also wants the Farm Bill to address paperwork and other burdens to farmers enrolled in CRP. Thune, a member of the Senate Ag Committee, said in a statement that CRP is a popular program in his state of South Dakota, but due to expiring contracts, the state is expected to lose 57% of its existing CRP acres over the years covered by the 2018 Farm Bill. He also said after receiving feedback from stakeholders throughout South Dakota, it was clear that they need to make some changes. He says he looks forward to continuing the conservation on these uh, and other uh, proposals, and as that debate on the Farm Bill continues to get underway in Washington. Well, prescribed fires are an established practice in Kansas to prevent unwanted stands of brush and cedar trees, but emissions from these burns, particularly in the Flint Hills, contributing to air quality concerns within the state and in downwind states. Kansas State University air quality scientist Zephy Liu says data collected over the last 15 years shows a connection between burning and air quality. Basically, the more acres we burn, the higher ozone level we have. Some smoke emit more secondary organic particles than other smoke. Depends on the burning conditions, such as moisture content, and I think more research needs to be done to find out how we can reduce the emission of secondary organic particles. Well, Lou says improving burning techniques and burning when conditions are most favorable are the best strategies 
for reducing emissions. The air quality conditions, of course, that is a major news item in parts of Nebraska today. Union Pacific says millions of American jobs depend on trade occurring between the United States and Mexico. More on that from Shaley Peters. This is something UP says needs to be considered during any discussion of changes to North American Free Trade Agreement. The railroad company is highlighting the impact of the agreement as an effort to promote trade across the border. Less trade between the U.S. and Mexico would undoubtedly impact UP's profits. The company points out that each year NAFTA-related trade generates about 200,000 export-related jobs that pay about 15 to 20 percent better than the manufacturing jobs lost due to rising imports from Mexico, according to the International Trade Commission. In the agriculture sector alone, Mexico is America's third largest agricultural market, importing 18 billion of U.S. agricultural products. Union Pacific points to comments by a Mexican trade economist who was also an architect of NAFTA who says the deal probably needs renegotiated to be brought into the 21st century. I'm Shaley Peters reporting on the Rural Radio Network. The World Trade Organization predicting an uptick in global trade this year and next after a lackluster 2016 while cautioning that uncertainty about policies like protectionism and anti-globalization present risks to its forecast. More ag information can be found at RuralRadio.com. This is the Rural Radio Network. More developments have been happening when it comes to the Chinese opening beef trade from the United States. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Jesse Harding. In studio with me is Craig Uden from Dawson County, also serving as president of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Craig, it's always good to have you here with us. But why don't you tell us a little bit about the Chinese importing United States beef? Well, you know, back in September 2016, NCBA, along with U.S. Federation Meat Federation and also North American Meat Institute, uh, been working on this for quite a while with the uh, Chinese, and consequently, in September, we had those folks meet in Denver, and then they came through Nebraska and visited ranches, feedlots, as well as processors, and to see how beef production was done. And, you know, right when they left, then they opened up back to China, but we still haven't moved a pound of beef into China. So when the new administration came on, and we didn't have the TPP anymore. We decided that we stay engaged with the current uh, administration and work with them on the trading partners we've had because Canada, Mexico, and NAFTA has been important. Japan's been extremely important, which would have been a very, very much uh, positive if TPP would have went with uh, Japan. But since they've chosen to go bilateral, we want to work with them. Now, uh, with this China meeting that President uh, Trump had with the Chinese president, a lot of talk and a lot of positives have come out of that. Now they're setting a 100-day to try to implement, let's say, the rules that now need to be made as far as how we're going to conduct trade and how we get our product over to China, which is extremely important because their middle class is larger than the entire U.S. uh, population. So uh, 1.4 total in China and that would be a really blessing for the beef industry. With you currently being president of NCBA, being from Nebraska, the beef state, having these conversations all year long, what is your opinion on what this means to producers back here at home? 
Well, you know, it's very vital. Nebraska is, is a leading exporter of beef in, in the U.S., and uh, a lot of quality beef comes out of, out of Nebraska, so it's very positive uh, to look for trade. And, you know, we went through the drought years and consumption dropped because the numbers dropped, but now we're clear back up to 32.1 million cows, beef cows, and that uh, continues to grow. So it's very vital when 96% of the population lives outside our borders. We must have trade if we're going to stabilize as well as grow our industry and be profitable for our our producers. And consequently, uh, we've got a lot of young people that have entered into the business. It's very important that we increase trade so that uh, we remain viable and uh, we increase the prices for our product overseas so that we have this opportunity. Today we uh, export about $300 worth of uh, product as far as uh, on the exports for every every animal that's produced in the United States and that figures between 12 and 15 percent of our production. Uh, we'd like to see that grow because we see that as our opportunity both for Nebraska and just the beef industry in general. And I think uh, you know we've been pushing on this trade issue for now three or four years and uh, now it's become the hot topic and it's starting to look like we might uh, see some uh, uh, benefits uh, by pushing all this time on trade because it's, it's vitally important for our industry to remain profitable. Visiting us in studio has been the National Cattlemen's Beef Association president also from Dawson County, Nebraska, Craig Uden. For the Roll Radio Network, I'm Jesse Harding. This is Midday on the Rural Radio Network, and this is Sports with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Dirk. Well, Nebraska's solid midseason run in baseball continued last night with a 6-1 victory over Kansas State. The Huskers swept the two-game series from the Wildcats, and Ben Miller continues to be on a roll. The reigning Big Ten Conference Player of the Week went 2-for-5 with a couple of doubles and now has multiple hits in seven out of his last ten games. And you return to conference action this weekend when they host Iowa. The Husker football team continued spring workouts yesterday. Defensive coordinator Bob Diaco says the veteran black shirts continue to do a great job. It's easy to talk about guys that are on the rise or guys you're happy with or guys that have made some kind of transition or growth or maturing that were immature. All those conversations are great, but so rarely do we get a chance to say that Chris Weber is a stalwart and a leader and doing everything the right way. And Aaron Williams, who does it all the right way, who gives great energy and is fundamentally sound. Chris Jones, who does the same, approaches his work with a deep professionalism. Now, Nebraska's annual red-white scrimmage is set for this Saturday at 1 o'clock at Memorial Stadium. Already more than 60,000 tickets have been sold. The Heartland Athletic Conference made it official yesterday, accepting the invitations for Kearney, Lincoln Pius, and Norfolk High Schools to join the league. The three schools will become members of the conference during the 2018-2019 school year. Now, the last time the conference expanded came more than a decade ago when North Star and Southwest were open. The NBA wraps up its regular season today. The Indiana Pacers and Chicago Bulls would clinch the final two playoff spots with victories tonight. Pacers are home to Atlanta, while the Bulls will host Brooklyn. Twelve other games are on the NBA schedule. But not every team is looking to go out on a winning note. Some might prefer to lose in hopes of locking up the best odds possible for landing a high draft pick. 
One of them is Phoenix, which wrapped up the second-worst record in the league yesterday at 24-58. And the NHL playoffs get underway tonight with 16 teams aiming for the Stanley Cup. Defending champion Pittsburgh is looking to become the first team since the Detroit Red Wings in the late 90s to win consecutive titles. The Penguins begin their quest tonight when they host Columbus. That is a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. rest of today, mostly cloudy, becoming partly cloudy, scattered showers and thunderstorms, high near 73 to the east and 80 in the central west. I'm Annie Brickner. Nebraska Senator Ben Sass, a member of the Senate of Armed Services Committee, agrees with actions last week regarding military strikes in Syria and hopes the line is held. Obama had decreed death back in 2013. He said that it was a red line that chemical weapons couldn't be used by Assad or the U.S. would respond. That's essentially what Trump wanted to send a signal about last week. And I affirm the president's decision to say that red line needs to be held once we had decreed it. Sass says the U.S. by itself can't solve all the world's problems, but there needs to be a policy towards Syria. But we do need our allies to know that they can trust us and our enemies to know that they should fear us. And Assad right now um, is a destabilizing influence on lots and lots of his neighbors. Sass says President Trump needs to present a strategy. So what I'm looking forward to is President Trump, uh, again, it's not Trump's fault. He's only been in office, whatever, 75 days. It's not his fault that we don't have a coherent Syria policy after five years now. But now that he is commander-in-chief and now that he has engaged in that region, we need President Trump to come to the Congress with a comprehensive proposal of what the U.S. desired end state is to Syria. U.S. Secretary of State Rex Tillerson is in Moscow to meet with Russian officials about the Syria civil war. Relations between Russia and the U.S. have been tense after allegations of complicity in Syrian President Bashar Assad's use of chemical weapons. Changes have been announced at Omaha Epley Airfield as crews prepare to build a new six-story parking structure. Epley will close its surface and canopy lots on Thursday to prepare for the construction. The new parking structure, which will hold 3,000 cars, was approved by the Omaha Airport Authority in December. The $66.5 million project is scheduled to begin in May and take about two years to complete. During that time, rental car operations at the airport will be relocated to Canopy Lodge south of the terminal, which will be closed to public parking. A Lincoln attorney says Nebraska has limited legal options regarding the smoke carried into the state from Kansas ranchers who burned tall grass prairie. Ranchers in the Flint Hills burned upwards of 2.3 million acres of tall grass prairie on Saturday. Lincoln lawyer Steve Mossman doesn't think Nebraska could sue Kansas to regulate burns because of courts are reluctant to force them to regulate against their will. Authorities have accused a Gehring woman of scanning her 84-year-old grandfather out of more than $250,000 over four years. Court records don't say Stacia Keener is charged with a felony theft and forgery. Her attorney didn't immediately return a call Tuesday. The records say the man reported that Keener had lied to him about needing money to pay back taxes. An attorney had forged checks on his account. Get the latest forecast and live severe weather reporting around the clock on KRVN and KRVN.com. In the News Center, I'm Annie Brickner. In November 2016, Governor Ricketts announced that the Nebraska Department of Economic Development had signed an agreement with Chinese officials 
to create a working demonstration farm known as the Nebraska Yangling Agricultural SciTech Park. With the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chabella Guzman. The collaborative partnership has several entities in China and Nebraska working together, including the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. In the last week of March, the Nebraska Extension sent 24 faculty members to work on the agricultural project for spring planting. Members included Dr. Jeff Bradshaw and Dr. Nevin Lawrence of the Scotts Bluff Panhandle Research and Extension Center. I caught up with both doctors recently to learn more about the preliminary planning of the project. Jeff, can you give us an overview of the project? So there's about 1.3 billion people in China. Uh, one of the important points around that is that uh, China will always have more people than farmland, and it'll never be a net exporter of food, so they're really relying on other countries to provide their food. However, uh, one thing that they've recognized is as their farming demographic ages change, as ours have, Older farmers, generally speaking, and the younger generation isn't interested or as interested in farming. So, you know, recognizing that they're going to have to increase the size of their farms and knowing that Nebraska, for example, already does that, I think they're trying to learn something from us about how to, how to farm on that larger scale uh, using some of the current technologies that we have and more up-to-date tools and technologies and strategies we have for for farming. Nevin, can you give us an idea of some of the technology they will be using at the province? The site is going to be irrigated and that's one of the main reasons why the Nebraska Department of Economic Development is, is involved in this. Is One of our biggest manufacturing sectors in, in Nebraska is irrigation systems. The largest irrigation companies in the country are all headquartered in Nebraska, and so we're hoping to demonstrate that technology over there. At the site we were at, the, the current way it's irrigated is through uh, flood irrigation. We're going to switch from that system to a um, center pivot irrigation system using Nebraska technology. Jeff, I understand under the agreement the farm will be capitalized and managed by Chinese partners. Can you expand on the work that needs to be done? Right now, as a team, we've just been kind of doing a 24 heads is better than one kind of approach in trying to figure out, you know, who the implement dealers are, uh, what kind of implements do we need, what size tractors do we need, doing soil fertility tests, so thinking as a team, how do we get this going off the ground? There's a lot of groundwork, literally a lot of groundwork that has to be done before we even put anything in the ground. But right now, our plan is to plant corn in May, and uh, the plan is for that to be silage corn. We've got a relationship we've established with the local uh, dairy, provide silage to, um, and it'll be in rotation with winter wheat. Getting back to the tools, Nevin, you told me the demonstration crops will be planted on 160 acres, which I understand is quite large for the farmers in the Shanji province. Can you give us an idea of the land and tools some farmers use in the province right now? They have some large-scale farms like we have in the U.S. and China, but I think uh, at least the area we're at, most people are farming uh, maybe 2 to 10 acres, and the 10 acres is pretty rare. They're very small-scale. Their equipment they might be using would be something like a rototiller. A lot of their harvest is done by hand, so they'll be out there picking the individual corn ears um, rather than mechanically harvesting them. And that's sort of how the scale differs between you know the U.S. and, and how, they're, how they're farming, at least in that area we visited. Nevin, can you give us an idea about introducing the new equipment and farming techniques to the area? The idea was just to get a people from diverse backgrounds over there to help kind of guide how the farm goes. Because, you know, what we're trying to do is take... Um, you know, demonstrate Nebraska technology from our from our manufacturers and 
um, that's fairly large scale compared to what they do there. And so, you know, you need expertise not only in just how to maybe run that equipment, but also how it's used in the greater context of farming. And that's why we have people from diverse subject areas to kind of provide that. Jeff, you're a doctor of entomology, so can you tell us a little bit about pests? Are they similar to ours here in Nebraska, or are they completely different? They have some of the same pests, you know, just in the short time we visited there, um, looking through some of the adjacent wheat fields that were near the demonstration farm, and they've got, uh, you know, bacterial aphids, uh, a few green bugs, some English grain aphids, so those are all familiar cereal uh, grain aphids that, that we might find in our wheat fields as well. You know, in corn, they do have a stock-boring insect that we don't have. They also have a couple of our pests uh, that are native here that are on their watch list. Shanji has been Nebraska's sister state partner since 2012, when the two signed a letter of intent to initiate a sister state relationship. Jeff, what are some hopes for the project? The hope that we, we can demonstrate some technologies that, that'll work over there, uh, that they find value in, and then they become purchasers of those materials and you know from a education standpoint you know which is the university's mission you know we as faculty get experience really thinking outside the box so to speak that kind of put yourself in a really unfamiliar environment very unfamiliar conditions similar or familiar crop but in a very different place with different rules different environment and so it, you know, it gives you some challenges to, to step up to. We've been talking with Nebraska Extension educators Jeff Bradshaw and Nevin Lawrence about the project in China in the Shanji province. It's still in its preliminary stages, and there is a great deal to learn before the Extension will have an understanding of the needs of the province and its farming capabilities. With the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chabella Guzman. Well, we've had a third day of closing higher in these cattle futures. Pretty impressive. Let's talk with Joe Teal at Great Plains Commodities about it. Joe? Yeah, we started off a, in a bang, a pretty uh, strong up right uh, right from the uh, get-go. But as the day kind of progressed, we uh, ran into some profit-taking, that type of thing. The uh, auction uh, didn't uh, divulge much. Uh, one load sold for 126 that was it. Uh, so uh, kind of a disappointment there. And there, then uh, we fell back from our uh, highs of the day, finishing uh, well off our highs and well off our lows. So about mid-range for both the uh, live cattle and the feeder cattle. So a uh, positive day, but a little bit more defensive uh, as we got in toward the close. Cutouts were a little bit higher on the choice, a little lower on the select. Uh but uh, I think it's the cash sales that uh, were definitely uh, on people's mind. Over in the hogs, we're going to finish uh, lower right straight across with a couple of uh, triple-digit losses there. Uh, cash still on the weak side, uh, led by the back end today. Uh, yesterday uh, uh, was led by the uh, uh, front end, and uh, today by the back end. But uh, cutouts sharply lower last night, lower again at noon, so... There's a squeeze toward the uh, packer on uh, profitability there, so therefore the uh, weakness in the uh, in the hogs. But a pretty good day still in the cattle. Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities, total cattle slaughter, first three days this week, estimated 343,000, 5,000 more than last week. Hog slaughter, 1,326,000. 
7,000 less than last week. I'm Dewey Nelson. 880 KRVN, 106.9 Kearney. I'm Bruce Gorder on the Rural Radio Network. This week's Water for Food Global Conference is drawing agricultural shareholders from around the globe to the University of Nebraska in Lincoln. I caught up with Peter McCormick, who has been the director of the Doherty Water for Food Global Institute for eight months now, and asked him for his impressions of his new position. What has been uh, really memorable is is that the leadership of the university, the leadership in the state, the the, the support we've had from from many directions has been exceptional. It's been uh, uh, that's been very encouraging. The surprises, perhaps, or really understanding what is going on in Nebraska, better understanding, looking under sort of what is going on in each NRD, understanding some of the the, the challenges each NRD faces. Uh, as, as I gain more, I realize just how many different stories there are to tell in Nebraska and how important that is, both in our understanding of water management in Nebraska, but also what that tells other parts of the world and how to manage water successfully for agriculture. Yeah, Nebraska is very diverse from the southeast up to the to the northwest. So you can talk to folks in different parts of the world about what we do here. Yes, I, that's part of I see as a role is to really tell the story of Nebraska is to uh, both to in, in the positive and some of the challenges that have been faced in Nebraska. The 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 very positive story around the NRDs and how they manage. But yes, there's a diversity from uh, addressing the challenge in the southwest of the state. I was up in uh, uh, Valentine last week meeting with the NRD in the middle Nibra and, and, and that to hear that the story and the challenges in the middle Nibra they're quite different from from say down here in, in, in Lincoln areas around the groundwater and, and agriculture. Talk about the importance of this conference. You've got folks here from all over the world and they're sharing stories back and forth. It's, it's really a learning session for just about everybody. Yes, I think that's uh, one of the challenges, of course, is bringing this international community to Nebraska, drawing the, the, the folks here to, again, to interact with the, the, the specialists, the farmers and so forth in Nebraska, but also to, to interact with others. To, to discuss this global challenge, but what are the local solutions that we can come up with? It's my first year here, but I've been at past conferences. This year we've further d- built on that, and we now have people coming from uh, a number of participants from Africa here, a number from Asia, from partners we're working with, other organizations, bringing decision makers from Washington. I think this is the, 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 the conference is gl- growing in strength and bringing together these, these various organizations and allowing them to see some of the common issues we're struggling with, but some of the many different solutions that we can apply around the world. So this this is what's exciting about the conference. And it's so interesting. We know how important water is to agriculture here in Nebraska, both both sides of the state. just doesn't matter where you're at. But in, in many parts of the world, it's critical for life itself. Yes, I think this is one of the major challenges we have is that agriculture is often in competition with other sectors around water and and the relationship between agriculture and water and and human health is is quite close and this is something we recognize in in Nebraska and have have the systems and the monitoring to to, to follow this up and address some of these these challenges elsewhere in the world where they're not as, uh, they don't maybe have as much water or these uh, there isn't the capacity to monitor some of these these challenges it's um uh, it, 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 it's an area where there the really needs to be the capacity built, there needs to be the, the, the investments in, in those countries and that's we, we have a number of projects that we're working with uh, organizations in India and different organizations in, in Africa. 
That's Peter McCormick, who has been the director of the Doherty Water for Food Global Institute for eight months now. I'm Bruce Gorder on the Rural Radio Network. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. And with us, John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter, This Week in Grain. But let's more get more focused on just today and why we saw this rally in soybeans. Yeah, I think beans focused on the overseas markets now. We got a nice jump in meal prices in the Chinese markets overseas. And in reality, I mean, that really has kind of let it down. Now, you don't know who's wagging the dog there. Is it the U.S. prices falling or is it... Uh, is it the uh, the Chinese markets moving it? But we did see them them move higher here. That combined with a heavy short position here, I think the trade is weak on the short side down here. We've had a lot of shorts add in the last two months, and you know again I'm going to kind of reiterate the rules that I read on the road, and one of those is just you just don't you don't usually sell beans in February and get away with it for long. You know, look in the last. I think 15 years you've had a, a rally above that crop insurance price every single year. And I, I got to think we're going to have it again this year. It's impossible to see what's going to happen with weather, but uh, demand is, is there, and that's impossible to ignore even if the crop sizes are growing each day. What do you have to say about a 200-day moving average and if we're even close to approaching that? Well, all right, so you, you look at different contracts here. So let's start ta- start with July. I assume a lot of folks looking to sell that contract. We haven't been above the 200-day contract in, ju- in the history of the July futures, which go back to 2015. We haven't been above that but three weeks last summer, and we're right there again. We got there in February, failed, got there in early March, failed, and we're s- probably about six, seven cents away. I'd say we'll call it 383 right now. And if we get up above that, I think you could see some short cover run this thing to $4. That's where your decision as a marketer and a producer gets difficult. I would say as somebody who has their back against the wall uh, and, and time is on your side, you probably need to look to move it there, but it depends on why it's rallied. Um, looking at the deferred contracts, something out into December 17, we're above it right now into the close, kind of fighting with it, and then the December 18, we're above it as well. So it feels to me like this is a little different than the last couple of months where we rallied up and touched it, um, given that in between September and December of, or September and the present, we have essentially certain supply in the short run, whereas now we're looking at new crop production needing to be there to keep prices low, and that would be the, the concern I'd have. Um, again, I think a, a pullback to, say, 360 May in the short term wouldn't be out of the question, but I, I'd be a buyer of this market. I think, I think there's a lot of good things happening considering that we've absorbed a lot of blows from the USDA, and I don't think we're going to get much worse in the short term. That's John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. Go to their website, danielsagmarketing.com. John is also the publisher of the newsletter, This Week in Grain. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. Response has been tremendous for relief efforts going to wildfire victims on the plains, but your help is still needed. Farm and ranch families continue to recover from the March fires, which burned over a million acres in Kansas, Colorado, Oklahoma, and Texas, not to mention the loss of cattle, structures, and fences. Our wildfire relief link at ruralradio.com has many ways you can help donate cash, hay, and supplies. David and rancher from Inglewood, Kansas, says although help is still needed, they're overwhelmed by the response. It's just heartwarming to see the agricultural community and how they come together and support those of us that need it. You know, we're all pretty independent.
and then learn to be gracious receivers. And we are. We just totally appreciate the support of the whole agricultural community. And that caring has been what has given us that extra energy to stay positive and know that we're going to be able to rebuild. These farmers and ranchers still need your help. Please visit the Wildfire Relief page at RuralRadio.com.